Impact leadership. What does it mean to wake up each day knowing your work, effort, and passion is being transformed into creating change that makes a difference in your business, organization, community, and your own life experience? And it can be hard to stay on track when at times the winds do not blow in your direction. But you persevere one step forward at a time, creating something better. This is fulfillment in action. And this is passion for impact. Educating, empowering, and elevating social consciousness in people, business, and teams. One inspiring conversation at a time. Passion for Impact is brought to you by Speak Plus. We train leaders on how to communicate with care and clarity. Learn tools to level up your voice, your energy, and your confidence. Your team will thank you for it. Visit passionigniter.ca forward splash, splash, I should say, slash speak plus although splash is fun (laughs) for more details this is the passion for impact podcast with speaker trainer and socially conscious advocate trisha miltimore well guess who is here today canada's top inclusive communication expert is on the show. Denis Boudreau is here and I cannot wait for this conversation. He is a consultant, a trainer, coach, and speaker specializing in helping organizations create truly inclusive digital experiences for everyone, including people marginalized by the use of technology due to disabilities, aging, or other circumstances. His mission is to empower people to truly connect with organizations, their brands, and the messages they convey. Denis also works with leaders who want to develop inclusive communication skills online or from the stage for themselves or for their teams. He helps organizations communicate more inclusively with their audiences by removing the barriers that can get in the way of, get this, up to 40% of the population who struggles with our use of technology, including those with who have disabilities or are simply getting older. And I already can really relate to that. Thank you so for, so much for being on the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'm, I am excited for this conversation because I think that there's so much, um, so many tips and tools and wisdom that you can pass along that help everyone. But also, of course, I want to dive into your story as well. So let's start with you a little bit. You know, I, I always ask my guests, share five words that describe you. I love yours. Empathy pragmatism, which I actually, am I even saying that right? Right? Pragmatism? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I've seen it on the list. I love it. Empowerment and impact. So tell me a little bit more about those words and, and how, how you came up with them and how they apply to yourself and as a person and professionally. Sure. Um, let's, let's start with inclusion. I mean, inclusion is at the start of, uh, at the, the, the center of everything that I do really I very much believe in the idea that this world should be should be offering opportunities that are equal, equivalent to everyone, and that you know a person's circumstances, like having a disability or getting older, should not prevent them from being able to fulfill their own you know desires or or, or potential. So to me, it's about you know treating people with respect. It's about welcoming other human beings as equals and, and valued member of society. So this is at the core of you know everything that I try to do, try to teach my children, my my clients, everybody. Like just like this is the starting point for me. But at the same time, I I don't want to be dogmatic about it, right? I mean it's there's not it's not like there's one way to do things and and if you don't do it this way then you're wrong. 
It's about being pragmatic about the whole thing. So being open-minded, seeing uh, challenging situations with fresh new eyes, living, you know, living life with a balanced approach is, is what kind of what that is. And, and being open to other possibilities that may not be the ones that you would normally think about. Because one of the great ideas or benefits I think you get from being inclusive is that you discover other perspectives from other people things that you would not necessarily think about. I mean, your own privileges, for instance, might put you in a particular frame of mind and that sort of shields you from other perspectives and, and being open to diversity, I think makes us better human beings in general. And, and you know, one of the other words that you mentioned was empowerment, which is also a really important word for me because it's not about, it's not so much about having only certain people being able to achieve different things, but giving everyone the means to be able to go as far as they want to with their own potential, their own desires. And, uh, you know, it, 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 this all works together, right? So if you create an environment where someone feels welcomed, feels recognized, feels like they're supported, then you empower them to become a better version of themselves, which in turn will bring better contributions to the workplace, to society in general, because those folks also get to share their greatness with the rest of us. And yeah. uh, you, you've got word like, you know, I, 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 I think I also gave you words like growth or impact, yep. which, which really is, is about, you know, growing all growing together society, uh, from a society, societal standpoint, um, you know, helping everyone grow together and contribute that way. And of course, all of that has impact on the way we live our lives, the way we run our societies, the way we run our businesses, the way we run our relationship with others, and, and the way that we, you know, end up being able to serve one another in a way that allows all of us to, you know, have better lives as a result of that. Yes, you absolutely embody passion for impact. You know, this is everything we're all about on this podcast. Where did this come from? How did you get involved in this arena? Um, how did it start for you? I would love to know your story. I wish I could tell you that I come from, uh, well, I wish, maybe I don't wish that, but I mean, most people who work or operate in the field that I operate in, so, you know, inclu inclusion in the digital space is really where I live, typically come at this out of necessity. They have a disability, they're blind, for instance, so, or they're in a wheelchair and they, they ran into obstacles all their, all their lives just trying to do regular things that the rest of us would take for granted. I don't really come from that place. I come from a place of curiosity for the most part. I come from a web developer background, web development, web design background. And in the summer of 2000, basically, I was, I was leading a project for the company I was working with, designing websites for people. And, and someone came to me and said, well, we just won this contract with, uh, with a local hospital here in Montreal. And they want us to build a website that blind people will be able to use. We don't really know what to do. Figure this out. Oh, okay, sure. So, so instant, by instantly, my my curiosity was struck, and up until that point, I had never really considered disability. I had never really considered other people's experiences. I was pretty much, you know, self centered. Like this is how I live. I go through things that I didn't really know any better, and and very quickly discovered that not only were there you know, rules and, and and techniques to make you know, a website usable by someone who is blind, for instance, but I could also make a significant impact in other people's lives by changing the way that I was working through code, through design, to include more people in that experience. 
So that was 20, 23 years ago now, 22 and a half years ago. And, uh, and that's how I grew into this space. I, I, by asking questions about how I could do my job, I ended up finding a bunch of people that were living in Montreal, were living in, uh, like francophones around the world. Cause I was, I was blogging back then, like writing these different things and, and thoughts and questions on, on, on a website that I had and was trying to just figure this out. And I was getting emails from people all over the world and a lot of people that were local, like almost neighbors of mine. And, mm-hmm. and some of them became friends and through their lens, through their experiences, I became a lot more empathetic to other people's circumstances and that just grew on me in a way and uh, and it's always been at the core of what I do as a result of that. Mm. So you work with leaders and helping them develop their communications. Um, what are some of the biggest surprises you've had over the years or lessons learned that kind of inspires you to keep moving forward? Uh, well, there, there's there's quite a few. Um, I mean, the the, fir- the first one really is when when you work with organizations who are like they know that they could do better. They mm-hmm. know that they have a bit of an issue when it comes to representation, for instance. Um, you know, in recent years, we've we've come to uh, like as a society, we've come to to sort of awaken ourselves a little bit more. To, uh, to diversity, to better representation in terms of skin tone, for instance, in terms of uh, you know, sexual orientation, gender in general, like all these different things that have become more recognized over the, the course of, of recent years. You just have to think about things like the, the murder of, of, uh, of uh, George Floyd, for instance, in mm-hmm. I think 2000, which led to Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, like all these different things have helped us grow as a society much more empathetic much more aware of, uh, of discrepancies in that sense. So, so organizations feel that too. Organizations understand that, are, are starting to understand, a lot of them are starting to understand that, you know, it's, it's one thing to represent the majority, which typically is going to be white and, and are trying really hard. I've been trying really hard and a lot of them have actually embraced the idea that there needs to be more diversity in terms of representation of who they're, workforce might look like or or their clients might look like for instance but a lot of these initiatives which we typically call dei initiatives so diversity equity and inclusion initiatives in organizations are typically misled when it comes to representation of people with disabilities and when i work with these organizations what we look into is just an understanding and you mentioned that in the introduction right like 40 percent of your audience being excluded on the basis of disability or aging as an example Mm -hmm. so when when they realize when the organization when business leaders for instance in organizations realize that the way that they communicate with their prospects their clients the world in general as a brand excludes a significant portion of their of their potential market share because they're they're not seeing that that particular demographic what they understand is that they must be leaving money on the table as a result of that. So helping them open up to a different way of approaching their communication so that they are more inclusive, whether by going a little further in terms of representation, not, not tokenism, like not, not putting someone uh, flat out with, with, with a very, very visible disability and, and you know, for no reason at all, but just you know, putting different things 
in your marketing that speaks to recognizing that there are more than one type of experience out there, it makes a huge difference in terms of those who are otherwise always sort of put aside or left out so that they feel that they are also being recognized. And, um, and, and as, as organizations do that, as leaders do that, what they realize also is that they're getting, they potentially could be getting all these benefits from a broader, more diverse workforce, for instance, or they could be tapping into, uh, into markets that are up until that point, completely untapped or, or very much underserved. And, and, and you know, the only thing that's keeping them away from being able to tap into those markets or expand the possibilities that, that their business could, could exploit or, or benefit from is just their own inability to see that not everybody thinks like them, might look like them. And, and, and you know, there are other types of, of, uh, of contributors out there that can also bring value to make their own organization that much more diverse and therefore that much more innovative as a result of all the different perspectives that can feed into what they're trying to do in terms of products or in terms of services, for instance. Mm, sounds like there's just so much potential for both bottom line impact, but also, of course, on the human side of inclusivity yeah, and the human, the, sure. human, the human aspect, the human impact. Can I ask a question for you? When you're working with leaders or, or people in general, and you know, someone or an organization says, we want to be more inclusive and they have a desire to do it, but perhaps maybe are going about it the wrong way. Is there, is there like this general fear of sometimes speaking out and trying to do more because you're worried about not doing it right? And, and how do you help people navigate that worry, that, that fear? Mm-hmm. It's actually a very common fear that people have. Um, there, there, there are two things that I see regularly. One is just the fear of either doing too much or not doing enough. And then at, because of that, and then ending up overdoing it on a lot of different in a lot of different ways, and mm-hmm. the other is really just the way that they do it, where you know, they end up rubbing people the wrong way without even realizing it. And it might be it might be the words that they use, for instance. Uh, you know, there are, there's a bunch of expressions. So, so there's this concept called ableism uh, or ableist language that basically is like to, to, to really sum sum it up. You could say it's like racism but for disability. You know, mm-hmm. just like ageism is like racism for older people or classism is racism for uh, a, a particular class in society. Like that general idea of discriminating people on the basis of something. Mm-hmm. Um, so ableism is, uh, to, to please summarize it very simply, but ju- just that is a great example of what people typically will do. They they might be using, uh, you know, expressions like, I'm, yeah, I'm turning a blind eye on that thing or uh like it fell on deaf ears, for instance, that sort of thing. Mm. And and so these expressions are everywhere in society. We use them all the time. Or, you know, you might be talking about something that you did over the weekend. He was like, oh, that was so crazy. We had so much fun. And, you know, you don't mean anything wrong with it, but you're using a word that basically describes somebody else's reality. And you're using it in a context that either where you're either appropriating yourself, that that particular either identity or or, or that particular reality or you're turning something so that that concept looks like it's a negative, basically, to, to begin with. And, and people do take offense of that. So you might have a company, for instance, who's really into diversity and they really want to do the right thing and they genuinely believe it. But, you know, they might have an ad where you've got two people talking about how crazy their weekend was. And automatically someone who has a mental health issue might 
resentful, feel resentful about their use of that word because they could have used a, a much less triggering word, like say, oh, it was really wild or we had a lot of fun, but it, it doesn't have to be crazy, for instance. So, mm-hmm. so that's an example where, where, where I help in uh, massaging language, I guess, so that we, we pay attention to that particular reality. And the other one is just that oftentimes, and, and that happens almost all the time, when people discover these gaps, when they disco- discover the, 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 they discover these these areas that they've been missing for whatever reason, um, and it actually touches them, like they, they genuinely believe that they want to make a difference, all of a sudden they become very invested in wanting to do that, but to a point where they're actually just doing too much. And, um, and, and one of the things that we, we hear regularly from people from the, the disability community is that they don't want you to speak on their behalf. They want you to be supportive of their reality, much like any other group that is other underrepresented, for instance. So oftentimes organizations will just, will just push too far, do too much. And it just feels, just feels awkward. It just feels mm-hmm. you know, cringeworthy. And, and so these mistakes happen all the, all the time as well. So it's about helping people navigate through these waters so that they hopefully avoid as many mistakes as possible and their approach or their efforts towards inclusion are met with success from mm-hmm. the, the, the demographic groups that they're trying to reach or, or appeal to by showing that they either care or that they want to care about those things. Hmm. And I like what you just said there. I think that was a really important point where you're supporting their reality. I'm paraphrasing you. Maybe you can provide more clarity. Mm-hmm. You support their reality versus speaking on behalf of them. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Wow. So you you do this work. You actually have a really cool tool on your website, which is inclusive.ca. That's I-N-K-L-U-S-I-V.ca. And it is, how inclusive do you think you are? It's a self-assessment test. Uh, tell me about this self-assessment test. I think people might want to give this a go. And I think it's maybe for speakers, but could this be for leaders as well? It could be for for leaders. I mean, I mean, the way that I presented it is is about speakers because I'm, I'm putting out a I'm, I'm launching a book in the next couple of weeks uh, titled "The Inclusive Speaker," where mm-hmm. I talk about how speaking professionals, communication experts in general, how they can be more inclusive in the way that they deliver or, pr- or present present their information. For instance, so it's a little tool that I've put together um, that sort of helps you figure out where you might fit on that spectrum of inclusivity as a leader or as a speaker, as a thought leader. Um, so basically I've got about, I can't remember now, like close to 200 different questions in there. And then that little, that little questionnaire basically asks you 20 questions and based on your answers from, you know, how often, how like, do you systematically do this or that? Uh, and then your scale is from, from never to always. And then based on how you respond to those questions, I, I'm sort of putting you on a scale of one to five in terms of how inclusive you are and giving you a little bit of, uh, of insight into what you could do to start improving. And the idea behind, uh, behind the tool basically is that anyone who wants to discover a bit more about their own biases, for instance, when it comes to how they present information, whether in meetings with their, with their peers or in front of clients or in front of an audience as a speaker, like in front of a group as a trainer, like whatever that would be. Like mm-hmm. there's so many things that we do that we never think twice about that are going to be exclusionary for some people. It might be the fact that, you know, you're, you're presenting information on, on the slide deck, 
and the color contrast that you are using are just not strong enough for someone like me, for instance, who's colorblind and might be missing some of the information that's there. It might be that you're looking at the room and you're thinking, I don't really need a microphone. This is a small room. They'll all hear me. But then someone in that room is hard of hearing. And because you didn't use the microphone, then they have a hard time hearing you. It might be that, you know, you're using video content in your presentation, but you didn't think about captioning it. So they have a hard time hearing the content that's there. It might be the size of the font that you're using. It might be the density of content on that side. It might be the way that you present the information. There are, there are so many ways in which we can, we can make some people in that audience feel excluded, unwelcomed. And this, this questionnaire, this self-assessment test, is basically asking you a bunch of different questions about that to try and identify where you might have a gap so that you might want to work on that and make it a little better so that eventually you become yourself a more inclusive speaker. Ah, so many good tips right in there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I feel like the whole podcast could just be you saying, it could be this or it could be that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really great. Uh, so what was the hardest part, Back, kind of back to your story, of getting started with your vision of doing this work? What are some of the biggest challenges as an impact maker in this space? It's uh, a great question. The bigger challenges initially were just you know, finding my own voice, finding my own place, finding my own space in that space. Um, like I said, I, I didn't come to this out of necessity. Like I've got a bunch of people that I've worked with over the years that became friends and, you know, they, they might be blind. They might be deaf, for instance. So they might be in a wheelchair. So they, they, every day they experience the exclu exclusion on different aspects of their lives because the environment that they evolve in is just not made for them. It's not made to be inclusive of their reality. And I felt, I mean, like most people, I guess I had my own version of, uh, of imposter syndrome thinking, yeah, yeah, I'm not disabled enough, say, to be able mm -hmm. to speak on that topic. Like I was like, yeah, I'm colorblind, but it's not really that big of a deal, really. And, you know, over the years, I've discovered that I'm probably somewhere on the neurodiverse spectrum as well. I'm thinking there's probably a little bit of ADHD, a little bit of autism, maybe even in there that, uh, that would explain some of my own behaviors. But it's not something that would be very obvious to anyone looking at me. I'm basically one of the 80% of people with disabilities who have an invisible disability, where if I didn't tell you, you wouldn't know. But there are things that are still impacting me one way or another. So I felt that there was something somewhere in there that justified my being here and doing that. But it was not an obvious one. So finding, finding my place was hard. And, and learning to listen was also really hard in the beginning because I, I tend to talk pretty casually and, and have ideas and opinions about different things. And, and learning, and to, to something that I said earlier on, on, on our, in our discussion, to learn about really listening to what people are saying and, and you know, give space for that, like create space for others to talk about their needs, their expectations, what is not working instead of assuming that I know because I've been working in this space for a while. What I found over the years, and again, I'm saying these things, but you, you could have people in different fields saying the exact same thing. Yeah. I feel like the more I work in this space, the less I know, because the more humble I guess I get about what I know or control or understand versus all the other things that I can't quite wrap my head around. And then that's very humbling in a way. Um, so, so that, that it was particularly complicated in this space because 
people come to this topic and it's very passionate for them because it's very personal. So mm-hmm. it's not just like, do you prefer this type of movie or that type of movie? It's about like things that impact you every single day. So people tend to be pretty, pretty take it pretty personally to begin with. So that mm-hmm. was, that was kind of challenging uh, in its own way for sure. And then, and then everything else is just about, yeah, trying to be a good human being and, uh, and then work towards helping make things better is, is the, the regular, I want to say challenges. It's as if it was hard to do that. I mean, maybe it's hard to do that. It comes pretty naturally, maybe I think, but it's something that's always on my mind. Like, how do I do this in a way where I'm, I'm being of service to a greater cause while at the same time, not sort of helping normalize, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Helping normalize, other people's circumstances and situations so that they don't, they stop being so out of the ordinary for the rest of us. Hmm. It's interesting to me because you mentioned, you know, being um, a good human being. And I think a lot of impact makers, which is primarily who's listening to this podcast, anyone who chooses or wants and desires to make an impact, it can almost be overwhelming. The, the idea of like, because we we want to be better human beings, right? There's just so much we need to learn and and, and understand. It's like it feels like almost like impossible to capture it all to be the best version of ourselves. Like that's almost like um, personal awareness and personal development on overdrive constantly. <laughs> like you just burn out after a while, right? So when you're working with yourself or even with others in this space, how do you help people to navigate those feelings? Like to you know, break it down into steps or make it more um, accessible that you're not just feeling overwhelmed because there's so much that needs to be done, so much change that needs to happen, so much normalizing that needs to take place, that kind of stuff. To me, to me, this is no different than educating yourself about other topics. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go back to, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter uh, conversation from earlier. Um, like a lot of people, when when that happened, I was I was crushed by it, like I was emotionally affected by it. Um, but it was not about me. But it became personal because I felt it was so unjust and, and unfair that I needed to do something about that. And like a lot of other white people, I started reading and educating myself. And, and the more I would read about this, and you know, of course, you, you you read from black authors, for instance, who talk about diversity, who talk about disability, who talk about I mean racism. And we talk about uh, you know, privilege in general, mm-hmm. and and you you end up learning that your role is not to do something about it as much as it is to be supportive of those who are doing something about it. And in 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 my space, it's kind of the same thing. So when people are a bit overwhelmed or intimidated by what they need to do, mm-hmm. and a lot of it, be, it starts with you know just reaching out to people who have disabilities and and starting conversations about these things because as long as it's, as it's theoretical you can make mistakes and that's what organizations do like they think they get it oh yeah black people they can't see that's easy enough let's just do something where we're going to describe what the information is and that's going to be that's going to be it but it, it is it's so much more profound than that and and i think the only real way for someone to get over the uh, intimidation that or the intimidating factor that comes with wanting to do something in this space is just to 
make friends, talk to people who have those disabilities, genuinely learn from those folks, educate yourself and ask questions and, and you know, be learn to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've had so many conversations with, with blind friends, for instance, and, when, and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I, I went and I, I watched that movie, for instance. Like they're not going to change the word. Like no, but nobody's no blind person says I went and I listened to that movie like they watched the movie just like everybody else. But they watch it in a different way and learning to use, you know, the vocabulary that might feel inappropriate in certain circumstances, using it anyway, because it's done with respect, for instance. And, you know, it, it would be a lot worse to try to change your vocabulary around to address the elephant in the room. Like, yeah, you can't see something going to tell you that I watched a movie, like something like that. And just instead, use it very normally as you would with anybody else, recognizing that this is how we, we call that thing. And, and, and by doing that, you're normalizing that other circumstance and you make it less weird. And, mm-hmm. and so that, that particular part of it, I think, is more complicated because ironically, what I find is that most people who have a hard time dealing with disability are people who really want to do something about it. And then they become super like they, well, again, back to something that I said earlier, they become very dogmatic about it. Like the exact opposite of being pragmatic. Like they will tell you, this is the way to do this. And you cannot say those words or you have to do it this way. And they're very strict on what they accept and, and what they think is, is accurate. And, and not just, just, you know, um, rejecting the idea that we're not all alike and everyone has their own perspectives and some people will say that, you know, it's absolutely inadequate to talk about the blind or the deaf. But if you speak to some people, I, I do mean some people who are deaf, they're going to use, you know, identity first language. So, you know, disabled person. Other people are going to say, no, I'm a person first and foremost. You're going to refer to me as a person and then talk about my disability. So they're using it as a people first language as opposed to uh, identity first language. And some people are going to say, you need to do this one and not that one. And they're being very dogmatic about it. While in reality, they're just not recognizing that we're all different. And, and as long as things are done with respect, there's no problem with, uh, with using other types of languages. So that's something that I see a lot in, in conversations with clients where they, they feel like they have to walk on eggshells all the time using a certain word or avoiding a certain word and not really knowing, like, am I, is it okay if I say trouble? Is it okay if I say disability? Is it okay if, is it okay if I say handicap, for instance? And so that conversation and learning to, again, navigate through conversations like that are, uh, are, are big, big uh, challenges for a lot of people. Oh, I feel like I just had an aha moment. It's almost giving me permission, and I'm sure people who are listening as well, where it's not about having to learn rules, like you're saying. It's about just being genuine, uh, supportive, open, curious, and, and, and I guess, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Grace for myself and others, like that mm-hmm. you generally want to do, you want to do well for people, like do right for people. And it's like, you got to kind of flow with, because it's not, you're right. It's not like one rule or another rule where that mindset actually limits you, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I, I try to live by a very simple rule, which is open, direct, and respectful com- uh, conversations. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to shy away from using a certain word because you might be offended by it, but I am definitely going to be paying attention to how you react to the word that I use because I know which words are potentially triggering 
So if I use them and I see that you're rolling with it and you're totally fine, then you give me permission. If you react to it, or if you say that you're uncomfortable with that, of course, I'm not going to use it again. And I'm going I'm to switch to another word that you know would mean the same thing, but one word that you actually are comfortable with. So it's all about respect. Mm-hmm. But um, like, I, I don't really believe in a some kind of a language police around disability, for instance, because there, there's there's not one way to do things or to categorize things, and people feel differently about all these different these things. So it's really just about you know paying attention to how people are, what they think, and being very respectful in your in your conversation or your relationships with others. Wow, oh, that is so good. That is so helpful. Thank you. So what advice is we kind of know, I feel like we could just talk forever. I'm very, very interested and just want to soak it all up. Uh, What advice would you give yourself, say, five years ago? Well, it it depends. From the perspective of a consultant, a speaker, uh, a coach, Mm -hmm. it would be about um, spending more time definitely talking to leaders so that I can have a bigger impact like from, from the top of the organization down to uh, all the different layers of that organization. If it's if it was from the perspective of a person trying to maneuver through, you know, this topic in general and figuring out like ways to get started to do better, I mean, it, it would it would definitely be about paying attention to these little either quirks that I might have or these these things that I might say or these biases that I have. Like we all have these unconscious biases about different things, and and question really. Why am I feeling this way? Like, why am I, for instance, like if someone is uneasy when it comes to talking to someone who's, who's, who's as a disability, for instance, like, why is that? Like, why does that make you feel uncomfortable? And, and, and really try to question why that is. And, and what you might find um, is just like fear of the unknown, for instance. If you reach out to those people, if you talk to them, if you ask them what it is that, how is it it is that you might help them, you realize that it's not really different. And, and, and one of the biggest, I guess, discoveries I've made over the years, which, which I think is really impactful, is that you know, there, there's this concept of uh, different types of, of models for disability. And there, there, are, there are many, but there are two that I really uh, keep going back to. One is called the medical model, and the other one is the societal model of disability. And the medical model basically tells you that you know, the person with a disability has a problem. So... They were born this way, something happened, they're broken one way or another, and it's on them to figure out a way to maneuver through world and life because they're just not built the same way that other people are built. Um, so the, the onus is on them. The societal model says the environment is the problem. The person is totally fine. If, you, if you're thinking about the web, for instance, you're thinking about just using the web in general. Um, you know, a big part of my job is helping organizations make their websites more accessible to people with disabilities. So how do you make a website usable by someone who's blind, someone who is deaf, someone who has dyslexia, someone who has ADHD, someone who's colorblind, like whatever disability you may think of. And the reality is technology today allows you to make your website completely accessible to everyone. The technology is there. It's possible. The techniques are there to make sure that things are inclusive. But if your environment is not built to accommodate people, you can't be surprised if they can't use your product. So back to that 40% that we said earlier, in that, that data comes from a couple of data points. First one in Canada, 22% of the population self-identifies as having a disability. So that's one out of five right there. And wow. then the difference between that 22% and the 40%, roughly 18%, is people over the age of 65 that are either either have a disability 
or you know, are just getting older and their senses do deteriorate over time. So their vision is not as good as it used to be, their hearing, their mobility, their cognitive ability to you know, sustain effort for a longer period, like all those things are impacted by aging. And therefore, when they use the web, they're either not as efficient or they might not be able to do certain things. If your design on your website was built in a certain way, maybe you are excluding those folks for different kinds of reasons, like, you know, videos and having captions or color contrast not being so great or you know, any of the other things that we could talk about. So recognizing, going back to those models, recognizing that the problem with disability is not the disability itself, but a lack of accommodation in the environment makes a huge difference. So, you know, back to your question about you know, five years ago, I don't think that I quite understood that back then. But what I've grown to understand is that if you build an environment that is made to be inclusive, people with disabilities can operate and evolve just as well as others can. If you're trying to get into a restaurant and there's a step to get into that restaurant, people in, in wheelchairs just can't get into it as easily or can't get into it at all if it's an actual flight of stairs. But if you have a ramp coming in, everyone can go in. If, if there's enough room in between tables in your restaurant and there's enough room to be able to maneuver a wheelchair to the bathroom, someone in a wheelchair can use that restaurant just as easily as anybody else. There's not a problem. But if you have any one of those barriers in the environment, that's what causes the disability, much more than being in a wheelchair, as an example. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that to me was a pretty powerful switch in terms of thinking that has an impact on what I do most days. Wow. Very cool. Thank you for sharing. Okay. So you have a book coming out. You mentioned it before. Share a little mm -hmm. bit more about that. Cause that's exciting. I mean, congratulations. Thank you. It's, I think it's more, it's more uh, scary than exciting at this point because <laughs> <laughs> you have to own it at some point. I mean, you, you spend, you, I spent five years writing that thing and, and, and questioning wow. myself every single step of the way. And now I have to live with, what I came up with. So, I mean, I, I guess every author understands that part, but yeah, the, the book is about inclusion, uh, inclusive speaking per se. It theoretically it's coming out within the next three to four weeks. We're still at the last final stages of, uh, of planning for everything with the publisher. And the, the book basically is about this idea of inclusive communication, inclusive speaking. So like I was saying earlier, it's talking to anyone who is a communication expert and you that, that's pretty broad, right? So business owners who have to speak to their clients or speak to their team members, people in HR having to speak to the, the workforce, people in marketing having to speak with on behalf of the brand to the audience out there, speakers, trainers, facilitators, like all these folks who are communicating with different people. How can they do that in a way that will not alienate part of their audience, that 40% again, and in ways that will make them feel welcomed and included and cared for? So it's tips and tricks about how to do that. Like we've talked about a couple of those earlier. It's about uh, talking that, about that five-step model that I mentioned. So when we talked about the little self-assessment earlier on, when you do that assessment on the website, you, uh, you are ranked from a scale of one to five in terms of how inclusive you are. And then uh, it's, so it's helping you progress through those, those steps or those phases in that journey to become as inclusive as you can be. So that's what the book leads to is, this model that helps you understand where you might be and how you might keep improving if this is something that you know, appeals to you. And, and through the book, I'm sharing the stories of eight different personas, different, different examples of, of audience members 
who have different types of disabilities and what you can do to make their experience that much more inclusive as well. So how you can basically embrace a larger audience, sharing your message, sharing your your information, but doing that in a way where most people will be able to benefit from it as opposed to only a subsection of your audience that doesn't happen to have a disability. Okay, I look forward to reading that. And I think people can go to your website and probably, uh, well, sign up for your newsletter too, because you put out some really great content. I see it on LinkedIn regularly. I would imagine it's similar to the newsletter on your website. And that's yep. inclusive.ca, right? I-N-K-L-U-S-I-V. Yep. Yeah, I-N-K-L-U-S-I-V.ca. There's a menu item right at the top that says book. That's where you can find that information. There's a little form to... To, to uh, register if you want to be on a, on a mailing list that speaks to the progress. Uh, there's a way to pre-order that book over there as well. So anyone who's interested is more than welcome to take a look. That's fantastic. Yeah, just um, get, get on your site and soak up a lot of resources on there as well. So thank <laughs> you. For. Yeah, it, and it looks great too. You can tell you're a web developer. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, that your passion for impact is empowering people to truly connect that is powerful right there. So, you know, again, I won't take up more of your time because I know you're a busy person, but thank you so much gratitude for being on for Passion for Impact, sharing your tips and tricks, and also some of your insights about your own experience. And I just know people are going to take away some real golden nuggets from this conversation. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Passion for Impact is sponsored by the Inspire Store. Need a gift that inspires? Inspire Store features exclusive ethically made goods and jewelry that embodies these three words. Yes, you can. Every purchase supports Food Banks Canada. Plus, you will receive Trisha Miltimore's popular personal development Shift Up e-course. Empowerment awaits you. Shop with impact at inspirestore.org. If you love learning how to live and lead in a caring and fulfilling way, and you find this show inspiring, please share with your friends, rate and review this podcast. Passion for Impact, it's brought to you by Rock Your Leadership. We train leaders on how to grow success, drive change and not burn out. Visit passionigniter.ca for more details. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Passion for Impact podcast. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe for episode notes, links and special offers from show guests. Cast your vote. Make your impact. One socially conscious choice at a time.